I'm going to primarily just be a moderator and just have Jim and Jane primarily just um, uh, just follow through here. And so let me just start out with um, uh, let me just start out with with a low ball here a little bit. Um, last night, Pastor Jane spent a lot of time talking about the importance of speaking in tongues and what it means. And of course, this provoked a lot of questions. And here's a few of these. So what do I do when my praying in the spirit does not feel or seem authentic? Well, what we have to understand is that Paul said, he said, I will pray in the spirit. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like an act of your will, right? So it's not really even attached to a feeling. It is an act of your will. Once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there is the, it is the unction of the Holy Spirit um, that is within us, that indwells us, that can be activated at, at an act of our will. And, you know, the, the, when I was first filled with the Holy Spirit, um, I was actually in a congregational setting where there were pre- where people were speaking in tongues. And just to kind of, it kind of helped me understand the validity of the gift when, um, have you ever heard somebody speak in tongues in a public setting for interpretation? Okay. So a person in the middle of the congregation spoke in tongues and then at the exact same moment, a person on the front row and a person on the back row stood up and interpreted the exact thing word for word. And so I was still trying to come to grips with the reality of the language of the spirit. And I will tell you that it is not attached to a feeling. It's not attached to how anointed you, you, you feel like you are. It is an act of your will. When I pray in tongues, uh, tr- shoot for an hour every day, it is not attached to because I feel like praying in tongues. It is just something that I open up and I allow it to flow. I think that's a great answer. You know, the Bible says, honest, it's interesting, building, building up your faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, your scholars will say that a lot of that refers to tongues. And one of the reasons tongues builds up your faith is it takes faith to do it. You don't understand what you're saying. It bypasses your mind. You don't always feel anything. And, you know, one of the primary attacks on people who get baptized in the Spirit is that tongue wasn't real. You made it up. And so I've had days when I can feel the power of God coming on me in torrents praying in tongues. I have other days when it just seems like I'm, I'm just kind of spitting in the wind. So it's, it's, it's not about what you feel. If I only read my Bible when I felt like it, I wouldn't read often. So, so the reason that it builds up your faith to pray in tongues is it just takes faith to do it. It's true. Absolutely. Um, again, low-hanging fruit. Does everyone possess the gift of tongues? Every believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just make a distinguish, distinguishing between the language, the prayer language of the Holy Spirit, because when Paul came to the city of Ephesus, he said to them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So he laid hands on them. They said, receive the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues, and they began to prophesy. Now, I just want to make a distinction between the prayer language of the Spirit, which, yes, I believe every believer should operate in, and the gift of tongues, which is for public interpretation. So there's a little bit of a difference there. So That's a, that's a very good way to distinguish it. There's no doubt in the New Testament, Paul, tongues was the primary sign of being baptized in the Spirit. And when the Spirit of God came on the Gentiles and they started speaking in tongues, Paul said, and the reason God did that is the Lord knew they were still prejudiced against Gentiles and they are never going to water baptize them without some sign that God accepted them. So Peter said, how can we forbid baptizing the water since they've been baptized in the Spirit? Because we heard them speak in tongues. Now, some people get a little confused in that verse in 1 Corinthians 12. Does it say, do all speak in tongues? Ask the question. Have you heard that verse? Do all speak in tongues? Now, Paul himself says, I wish all of you spoke in tongues. I doubt God would torment us. So what's that mean? One way of handling is like Jane did, which um, there's a prayer language, which I agree. Then there's that gift, which is for public. You pray in tongues. There's an interpretation. But Gordon Fee is probably one of, the more, one of the more eminent scholars. And I think he's the one that comments. He says that when it asks the question, can everyone pray in tongues? That's all in the context of the body. And not everyone can pray in tongues in one service. In other words, it's not an issue. Can everyone pray in tongues? 
is talking about that kind of public manifestation of tongues and saying in one service, there ain't room for everybody to pray in tongues. So there's no doubt. Now, I've seen people baptized in the Spirit and manifest another gift of the Spirit. Like when I was baptized in the Spirit, I interpreted the tongues next to me before I even spoke in tongues myself. So I would say the normal sign of being baptized in the Spirit is tongues, but that doesn't mean another gift of the Spirit could not manifest first. That's great. Personal testimony, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1976, um, and the initial evidence of my baptism was not tongues, it was prophecy. Um, I just did not exactly know what was happening, but everything had moved from black and white to color, and all of a sudden, I knew things about people and situations. Now, I, I got the gift of tongues six months later, but my initial evidence of, of baptism in the Holy Spirit was actually not tongues. So I think it's always, I think it's, it's important that we use words like always. I think that's a problem. It is. I mean, I think we can talk about what is, and even words normative, I think, as it talks about things of the Spirit. I think that kind of language can be problematic if we're not careful. I would say not always leave room for God's exceptions. In the New Testament, the exception was they didn't pray in tongues seemingly, but that doesn't mean God can't do whatever he wants. So we have to be careful. This is a question um, Question for each prophet. Uh, what does your quiet time look like daily? Um, and how long and what do you do? <laughs> you know, basically, um, I have to pray long enough to touch God. So the, the time, it varies for me. A lot of people talk about the hour of power. Um, that's based on, you said, couldn't you pray with me an hour? That wasn't a command to pray an hour. That was like, you couldn't even make it an hour. What's wrong? And so mine consists of, because I, I, a lot of times though, I do my tongue worshiping other, at other times in reading my Bible. I may like use my car as my tongue time on the way to the gym and back. Um, sometimes I'll just meditate on scripture. I'll write it out. I'll, I'll slow cook scripture. Other times I'll study one of the I'll study one of the prophets with a lot of Bible software. So my goal is to touch God and be filled with His life. Here's where it gets dangerous, though. People used to always ask me, "How long do you seek God?" I'd say, "Long enough." Well, they will long enough for what? Long enough to be touched by Him. Here's the problem, though. The longer you do this, the better you get at it. And so when you're prophetic, it don't take long to get God touched. I mean, to get a word, a little approval from Scripture, you can do that really fast. But the problem is, that's not all you need. And so, quite honestly, the better you get at it, the more you need to take steps to slow yourself down and stay in his presence. It's one of the reasons that I do things that are neurobiologically important, like I'll write out Scripture with my non-dominant hand because it opens up the right side of the brain where your God consciousness is. I'm all even, I'm very visual, so I'll even draw pictures and color what I see. I do anything I can to slow down because the longer you're in the presence of God, the better it is for you, the better it is. I would say that, um, you know, that having the discipline of being in the word of God every single day is very, very important. Um, having the discipline of praying in tongues, having the discipline of spending time listening, taking quiet time to listen not do all the talking in prayer. Now, I'm going to be very, very transparent and say that, um, that in a lot of prayer movements, um, you know, they really emphasize early morning prayer. I fail at early morning prayer. I fall asleep in early morning prayer. We love you, Jane. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. That's important revelation, right? Uh, you know, I got the revelation one time that uh, when Scripture said, early will I seek thee, I got the revelation that the Hebraic day starts at 6 o'clock in the evening on the day before. Okay, so um, I actually am a much better late-night studier and late-night meditator than I am an early morning person. Now, I do tend to start my days praying in tongues, and that's, that tends to be more what I do, and trying to take some time to listen to the Lord. But my study times um, are usually a lot more productive in the evenings. And um, my, my study times, I love modern technology because I study with um, 
Bible software programs, and I study with about 15 different translations. When before the advent of Bible software, I would study in the middle of my bed with about 15 books around me because I love the Word of God. I love studying. I don't I didn't, I didn't have formal study in Greek and Hebrew, but to me, to me, when I read the word of God, every single time I open the Bible, it's a treasure hunt to hear God's voice to me and to hear the things that are hidden in the word of God that speak to me. And so, um, if you're not in love with reading the word of God, I encourage you to fall in love with it. And if you're not in love with his presence, I encourage you to fall in love with it. Well, you know, I think while it's a perfectly legitimate and valid question, I think it's a little bit like asking any of us, how do you sustain your marriage? What are the secrets of communication in your marriage? And while there's some principles that are universal, the specifics of every relationship is going to be unique. Mm -hmm. Even to the extent that if, if, if we were to begin to talk about some of the experiences, the intimacies that we have with God, we would actually violate something in the relationship. You know, but because every one of us are going to have a different way, a different language. You know, some, I mean, Pastor Brett, for instance, starts moving text to me and at 4.30 in the morning. That's not human. <laughs> because I'm not convinced that God is up at 4.30 yet. But, but Brett's up, and that's okay. All right, that's wonderful. Ron Lewis try, starts moving texts at 3 in the morning because he hadn't gone to bed yet. Ah, well, okay. Well, that makes sense. Ron still thinks he's in college, though, but that's a whole other story. Um. But I think every, everybody's going to have to figure this out to some extent for themselves. And I think that some of the language we've adopted around prayer is, is a little bit of a problem. You know, words like quiet time and prayer room and things like this. Um, I got to tell you, there's a lot of times that it's anything but quiet. All right. I mean, the quieting your soul, letting God quiet you so you can hear, that's all important. But talking in tongues, you need to verbalize that. You need to get a little loud sometimes. Are you with me? Prayer room, prayer closet, all of these things. But, you know, the realities of modern life, your prayer closet might be your car. And let me just say, there's nothing wrong with your prayer closet being your automobile. Absolutely not. I mean, I have times as a musician, I mean, I, the most important thing for me in a car other than, you know, a steering wheel is the sound system. And I mean, so many times God will just come to me when I get in that car. He said, don't turn it on. And so, I, I mean, I've got a pretty decent little commute, you know, from uh, around here. And so for 45 minutes, 50 minutes, if I've been in the car by myself, most of the time now it's not listening to anything because I'm communing with God. And so you've got to find something that works. Again, that's in your language. It's in your lifestyle, et cetera, and so forth. But I think the thing that... but. In all of that, I think one of, the, one of the threads we can say, it has to be deliberate. Yeah, it does. I mean, you can't just wait for God to come bust up in your life. There's got to be something deliberate about whatever it is that you do. That's all right? Um, what are some practical things that can be done to sustain a spiritual walk that allows God to speak prophetically through you at any given moment? Well, I think, you know, the, the three of us, we can be called on at any given moment for a prophecy. And I literally mean my phone can ring. And yet, even if my phone wasn't ringing, I always want to have it. I don't ever want it busy, too busy for God to get a hold of me. And so, I, you, know, you ever heard the term chilling? I'm just chilling. Well, I'm just stilling. I, here's what I mean by that. All you have to do is be still. I always practice getting still on the inside. And... That, and, and so sometimes I'll sit at, at lunch in the mall or wherever I'm in a restaurant. I'll get, just get real quiet and touch God. I do that over and over and over. And at that point, and I, and I just want to hear me real quick. So the, the lifestyle of learning to get still. You know, we preach in a lot of environments and minister in a lot of places. And I've been in some places where I almost wish they wouldn't have worshipped that day. It, it, I don't mean in a bad way, but it made it worse, not better. Or maybe I, I can feel dis- dissension in the atmosphere. Or maybe I'm with a bunch of unsaved leaders getting ready to prophesy. And so I realize we spend way too much time trying to deal with things that are out of our control and too little time dealing with our heart, which is in our control. And so learning to quiet your heart and deal with your anxiety and get quiet on the inside um, is a lifestyle of nonstop practice. 
And um, that, that's one thing I just do routinely, get still, get quiet. I think that that's, um, I might say it a little bit differently, but basically the same thought is, is practicing the presence of God. And when we, when we, when we say the, the phrase presence of God, most of us might have a, a mental imagery of a time of worship when our hands are in the air. But the truth of the matter is that we, we can experience the presence of God when we're walking through an airport. We can experience the presence of God when you're standing in a grocery store line. Um, uh, and I've prophesied to people in any of those places, okay? And it's, it's being sensitive and having that understanding that the Holy Spirit is the one that walks alongside of us. And so we, we just have to constantly acknowledge that he's there and, and maybe reframe our understanding of what the presence of God looks like in our life because we carry the presence of God and what worship looks like because worship is not just when we're singing to the Lord, but every time we hear his voice and obey, that is an act of worship. And so maybe reframing some of these spiritual um, ideologies and bringing it down into the practical of understanding that we live this way. We live a prophetic lifestyle. It's not, okay, here's my prophetic time or here's my prophetic moments. It's we live a prophetic lifestyle and that should flow throughout the day. This ties to another question, but uh, when, we, when we talk about the prophetic, we talk about it in terms of measures and ministries, and we talk about the spirit of prophecy, the gift of prophecy, and the office of the prophet. And you know, the first one, the spirit of prophecy, is something that we call is, is somewhat environmental. In other words, you have to kind of be in proximity to say you have to be in a worship service or something. Then there's a gift of prophecy, which is one of the nine spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. But then there's the office of the prophet. And I can only speak for these guys, for, for myself, but the, the reality is with a prophet, you really don't turn it on and off. I mean, it's, it's, it's as much a lifestyle as it is the exercise of something. That's right. And so, for instance, if, if I'm in a public place, it's like, anybody see this horrible movie with Adam Sandler sometime back of, what was the first one? Um, the one when he was God. Do you remember that one? Bruce Almighty. You remember that? Jim Carrey. What did I say? I'm sorry. You see, that's how much esteem I hold in all of this. But Let's all pause for a moment and think of Adam Sandler playing God. Playing God. Okay, I got that. Okay. <laughs> I got it. All right. That's scary. But you remember when, when, when he had this moment and all of these prayer requests were coming in on the computer? And it was this, this constant bombardment. That's a little bit at some, at some level, if we go into an airport to go into a public place, you're constantly, I mean, we're constantly receiving revelation. But then the question is, then what do you do with it? Which leads, us to, leads, me, leads me to another question here. It said, how, how do you know what to do with a prophetic word? In other words, what percentage would you say that God gives you something prophetically to pray or intercede versus a word to actually deliver. Well, I think that if God wants, I think personally the, the, the ministry of the prophetic um, is really geared towards connecting people to the heart of God. And so it depends kind of on what the nature of the word is, um, is and is it actionable. I think that uh, on, on any given, I could sit here and tell you for the next you know, 15 minutes of, of times when I've sat in a restaurant or I've had a, a waitress waiting on the table or I've sat next to somebody on an airplane or encountering somebody in an airport and God may whisper something to me for them. And sometimes it is just to pray. Sometimes it is actionable. And if I can say something that would be a bridge between where they are and the heart of God, then that's something that I'm going to probably step out and, and say something and go fishing, if you will, okay? And the, the prophetic word uh, oftentimes gives that open door. It's the key of revelation that can open up somebody's heart. And so I don't know if it's a percentage of time as much as it is, um, how is that thing actionable? And there are times that, um, that standing in a grocery store line, the Lord said to me one day, rather than just standing here being frustrated about how long it's taking to get through this line, why don't you find somebody to pray for? You know, and so turn around and pray for the lady behind me. On that particular time, the Lord gave me something to say to her. On other times, I may pray for people that are around me that um, 
that that I don't I don't intersect with their lives, but being very sensitive to the Holy Spirit and just allowing God to use you. I know it's a huge step to step out of your own comfort zone. Prayer is a very comfortable place to say, well, I'm praying for them. But then asking the Lord, God, is there something actionable that I can use to connect this person to the heart of God? I think one of the the fundamental differences between a a really God-called prophetic intercessor, world-class intercessor, and a prophet is this. If you're an intercessor, both intercessors and prophets, especially the intercessors, can hear. One releases their burden by praying. One releases their burden by speaking or prophesying. And so I'm not, I'm, I am, it doesn't release me to pray about something when I get a prophetic thought from the Lord. I mean, I can pray about it, maybe just to hear or pray, but it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be speaking it that releases it. But there are times I've gotten words for leaders and years go by before the divine moment comes. I don't really even try to make it happen. Like, I'll just carry it um, in my spirit. And I, as friends say, I love praying over unsafe people. I've prayed for them in all sorts of settings and places. Um, I was going out of Nigeria and prophesied over one of the immigration officials. Of course, they all, a lot of them think they're Christians in the South. Who knows where they was or not. But So you just have to be sensitive to the spirit. And a lot of it goes down to your language. I talk to people and they don't even know they're getting prophesied over. I'm just allowing words of knowledge to come into what I'm saying and speaking to them and everything. One of the, one of the Hebrew words for, for prophecy is the word massa, which literally means burden. And if you think about the, 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 the ministry of intercession, we often talk about the burden of prayer. But like Jim said, we're all pulling down the same revelation. But it's the method of discharge. And so sort of a, an easy way to say it is that the prophet can say off the burden, the intercessor must pray off the burden. And so for me, I, I, I pray, but I'm not an intercessor. And so once I have delivered the mail, I'm done. And, but an intercessor, they're going to have to stay there before the Lord until that burden has been lifted in prayer. And I think that one of the most freeing things for people who move in revelatory gifts, if they can understand primarily how God has called them, whether to proclamation ministry or whether to prayer ministry, it really can help them in the, in the discharge of, of that revelation. Amen? A number of great questions here um, of uh, really how can you tell what you're hearing is God? Um, uh, so why don't, we just, why don't we just unpack that rather than me asking the questions? In other words, a lot of the questions are, you know, a dream, a, vi- a picture I'm having, a voice I'm hearing. How do I really know it's God talking to me? You know, it's, it's a good question, and we could give you the mechanics of that for hours, quite honestly. Does it line up with the Word? Does it terrify you? Does it lead you? Does it drive you? And all those things are critical. And so there is a process which all of us have worked on of developing a filtering system. In your home, there's a filtering system. And it's filtering your air without you knowing it. So, so what does it take to create a filter so you just automatically can feel, okay, that probably the Lord, that may be the devil tormenting me in my mind. Of course, you, gotta, you read the word, you have experience, you learn to tell the difference. But one of the, one of the best things I've ever heard is someone asked Reese, Reese Howes, how do you know you're hearing the Lord, his famous intercessor, Wales? He's the one that, you know, he, he predicted like, the Battle of Britain, the destruction of Germany in the snow, of Germany in World War II. He said this, he goes, well, that's simple. How do you know the voice of your mom? They go, hmm, I, I hear it a lot. He goes, well, you got it. And I will say this. I don't have time to go into all the mechanics. The more you hear it, the more you know it. That's right. So I've been hearing God's voice consistently since I was 17, and I'm going to be 62. And that's a long time. I can pick the voice of my mom out anywhere. I can pick the voice of Kathy out anywhere. I can pick the voice of Jim out. I've known him for years. And the more you hear his voice, the more you'll know. There's a scripture in Hebrews chapter 5, and it says, By reason of use, you have your senses exercised to discern between good and evil. Okay, so just what Jim is saying, by reason of use. In other words, the more often you do it, the easier it gets. So people ask me, well, how do you know if it's a dream from God or a dream from yourself? 
or a dream from the enemy or from some other source, I, I give them that answer by reason of use. The more you listen for the voice of the Lord in your dreams, the easier it begins to become to discern between a pizza dream, which I believe in pizza dreams, kind of your body's way of getting back at you for eating whatever you ate at midnight, okay? Uh, pizza dreams. Um, and the voice of the Lord in a dream. The more you do it, how do you discern between just an imagination that you have and a vision that God gives you? The more you do it, the easier it gets. And there have been times that I've had a vision or seen a picture. Let's just put it into common language. I've seen a picture and just thought it was an imagination when it turned out to be something from the Lord. Okay? Other times, there's times that I thought it surely had to be God, that it turned out to be an imagination. And the way that you learn is by reason of use. For example, we will do these things, um, activations, which probably Reggie was doing with you earlier, where you join somebody's hands and you pray and you listen and you share. How many of you have done something like this? Okay. Well, how do you know what you're sharing is from God is that you try. How is that? Okay. You try. And if they go, okay, well, that was nice. You know, maybe you didn't hit it. Maybe you didn't like hit something square up, but you tried. You put yourself in a position to actually listen to the Lord. The more that you do that, the more that you put yourself in a position to listen, the easier it gets to hear and to distinguish between the sound that your own voice makes and the sound that God's voice makes. Again, Jim, you know, Jim is saying, you know, not to get into the mechanics of it, but sometimes it's just good in your, in your own time to journal, Write a question at the top of the page. God, I want to listen to you. I want to hear you on this. And just let God's voice come. Let God's thoughts come. And then you are able to kind of distinguish and separate between what your voice sounds like and what God's voice sounds like. By reason of use, you have your senses exercised to discern between good and evil and between what may just be good and what may be God. You know that my sheep listen and know my voice and... Um, again, we can talk about mechanics, but for me, a lot of it is internal intimate language. Mm -hmm. For instance, there are certain things that my wife and I call each other in the privacy of their home that those are, those are terms of endearment that it would be real goofy to use any other way. It would be illegal. I mean, when I, when, when I pick the phone up and I hear this voice, Jimmy, are you still fat? I mean, I know that's probably not the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Who, who would ever do that to you on the phone, I though? cannot imagine who would do that. You have some really bad friends. I'm going to pray for you. Well, I know that. Let me just say, if either one of them ever do that to me, they will cease to be my friend, okay? <laughs> we, know, we do get that, trust me. <laughs> but let me just say that as humorous as, humorous as you are, as, as we are, and, and you have human relationships... There are certain terms that when I hear God That's great, speak, Jim. when I hear God speak to me, God never says, hey, dummy. Right. God never addresses me. God has specific things when he's getting my attention. There's certain language. Not only the sound, not only it's a certain sound, but there's even a certain language that's unique between him and me and that I know that he's talking to me. That's great. I had a friend that uh, was relating to me one time that she was driving down the road and praying and seeking the Lord and just kind of listening for the Lord. And the Lord said to her, um, your neighbor got a new refrigerator today. Yeah. And she's like, okay, am I supposed to pray for them or what? You know what? You know, she's what? And she said, God, why did you just tell me that? And the Lord said, friends just talk. And so, you know, sometimes God just wants to be your friend and just talk to you. And sometimes it's not because it's some giant revelation. Sometimes he just, he just wants to talk. And so really having our ear tuned to that kind of level of friendship and that level of relationship is sometimes because God just wants to talk. Yeah, that's great. And I might add that God has never called me fat. <laughs> God calls me right-sized. 
Did you say plus-sized or right-sized? No, oh, okay, sorry. I misunderstood. Okay, sorry. That happens a lot with you. All right. Um, this, is a, this is a wonderful question right here. How do you get yourself out of a spiritual valley? Out of a spiritual battle? Valley. Valley. Huh. I, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just quote. I'm going to let these guys answer it. I heard this, this, and I think it's a military saying, if you're going through hell, don't stop. That's, that's it, yeah. That pretty much says it. You know, whether you're on a valley or a mountaintop, you just, you keep doing what you do. You pray, you walk, you don't stop, and you'll walk out in his good time. The, but just be careful about getting shortcuts. Like, oh, I just kind of sign, don't. You'll come out. You learn more in valleys in many ways than mountains anyway. And so just keep walking. It's like a desert. Keep walking. God promises. He's Lord of the valleys. He gives us water in the desert. We fear no evil. He'll take care of you. Part of this whole Christian thing is just don't quit. Just don't quit doing good. Don't quit. The Bible says if you don't become weary and well-doing and quit, you'll reap a harvest. Just don't quit. Some valleys can be years. We walked through a 13-year valley in my wife's health. I'm sorry, but it's reality. And, but you just keep walking. You look back and realize what God did in your life. Just don't quit. It's, it's the truth. I mean, we, we've gone through a lot of challenges in our family. You go through a lot of challenges that are very real challenges. But, you know, I, there's a phrase that I always remember in, in the book of Psalms when it says, and, 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 and the story of David, it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And I think that we have to be, I think, intentional when we recognize that we are, in fact, in a valley, that we are, in fact, in a challenging season in our life, that we have to understand that there's suddenly going to be a lot of voices speaking to us, not just the voice of God, and that we need to add our voice to the voices, and we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And there are times that I know that... um, how many have ever seen that video where that little girl stands in front of the mirror and starts saying, you are wonderful, you are great, you are, I love you, you are just, you know, you are great, and kind of goes on and on. Yeah, you are smart, you are wise, you are great, you, are, you know, on and on. Well, I don't exactly do that, but there are days that I have to look at myself and I have to say, you are blessed of the Lord. You know, you are called to do this. You love your life. You love your family. You, you know, I mean, I, I have to encourage myself in the Lord. When you do what we do, there are days um, that you get up and you have to get on an airplane and you don't feel like getting on an airplane. And we have to be very careful. Um, I'm just talking about like short little moments of, of feeling like you might have to overcome something is that we need to be very careful about what we say to ourselves. David encouraged himself to the Lord, in the Lord. I think that sometimes we can talk ourselves right into depression. We can talk ourselves right into self-pity. And when you're in a trial, when you're in a challenge, when you're physically under it, when you're dealing with people problems, um, and everybody kind of has their own little button, I think that whatever that challenging area is for you, you need to have a pre-prepared response to know how to respond when the enemy hits your button. And to, know, and, to, and to know that you can choose to overcome by the words that come out of your mouth and by how you align yourself with what God's word has to say. One of the commands in scripture is to remember. How many have seen that? Remember, remember my acts. Remember my mercies. David said when I was, in, you know, basically kind of a dull escape, I remember what it was like to go to the temple. Here's why. Basically, we know that if you're ever severely traumatized, Neural patterns form around that trauma, and they really connect to neural chemicals. And honestly, that's one of the things that happens with post-traumatic stress disease. Someone gets in a similar situation, those chemicals like norepinephrine are released, their hands shake, heart races, feel like they're choking. Well, what we discover is the converse is also true. There are also neural patterns associated and neural chemicals associated with memories of victory. And so what happens is, it's when I get in a bad situation, I remember when Robert was dying and he was so sick. Well, I can remember when I was dying and God healed me or Peter was dying and God healed him. So what happens is, is one of the reasons you remember God's acts, it's not just spiritual. When you begin to remember, God, 
healed me that time or rescued me that time or helped me that time, all of a sudden the neural patterns associated with that memory, those neural chemicals begin to fire in you. And what happens is you jumpstart your, your brain-mind system. So it's just neuroscience. So a lot of times, if, you know, what, what's going to happen? Am I going to pay this? Well I, well, I remember what happened last time. God paid that thing. And so you just begin to remember what it was like when you weren't in the valley and how God brought you through and what he did. That will jumpstart your faith. Galatians 5.25 says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I think that speaks to that there are times, and I know this sounds a little goofy, but God himself will lead us into a valley to show us in Psalm 23. He will lead us in there, but he will lead us out if we'll keep going. And for Christians, we need to understand that there are valleys and there are mountains. And the flip side of that truth about coming out of a valley, eventually you have to come down from the mountain. Moses went up, but he had to come down. Jesus took three disciples up there and showed him an aspect of his glory they had never seen before. But guess what? They all had to come back down. And so I just think it's important that we understand that the rhythm of life for a believer does not look like this. I mean, it's down and it's up. And we just have to understand that that's just, that's just the nature of how this thing works. You know, there's practical things, too, that if you feel like you're in a real tough time in your life, in a valley season, maybe you deal with... Uh, struggle a little bit with depression or or things like that. Keep, get get a get a thankfulness journal. That's good. It is almost impossible to stay depressed and be verbally thankful at the same time. Amen. And 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 I think that if we can actually have your top ten list of things that you're thankful for, they've actually done all kinds of studies on people that are thankful and practice thankfulness on a regular on a regular uh, uh, um, uh, routine, and they actually find that they have lower levels of uh, 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 depression, that they, they're depressed less frequently or down less frequently, and they actually have found that those people that actually practice thankfulness, you can actually be around somebody else that's struggling or that's down, and that person gets lifted up that's a scientific study. That person gets lifted up and encouraged whether you open your mouth or not because there's something that you carry in you. And I think that it, there's something about understanding, you know, when you're walking through the valley, when you're walking through a hard time, you know, uh, what is coming out of your mouth? Good. Praising the Lord, thanking the Lord, magnifying the Lord. See, when it says magnify the Lord with me, what magnify the Lord means is make him bigger than your problem. And so let that come out of your mouth, and I, I assure you that God's grace will come. It may not get you out of the valley faster, but it'll make walking through the valley easier. That's great. Deanna and I were talking. Deanna's from our church in Berlin, and you know the, the sad part about it for many believers is that they only make God as big as their current problem. Yes. And so as a result, that's as big as God ever gets. And so what we have to learn to do, like Jane was saying, we have to learn to magnify God and let him get bigger aside from just that moment that we're facing that problem of that valley. Um, this is a great question here. Are there certain times at night when spiritual attacks and warfare is highest? And I, I'd like to just make the question a little bit more expansive than just at night, but are there just certain times at night or even in our lives when spiritual attacks and warfare is at its highest? It's, it's a, an important question. For whatever reason, um, Jesus said to the devil, this is your hour when darkness reigns. Um, the, the, the Bible talks about the arrow that flies by day, the terror that strikes at night. And there's no doubt the enemy seems to love to attack at night and torment us. We're tired. We're weary. I've been attacked deeply during the day, too. But so you say, what do you do if you're attacked at night? Turn your light on. <laughs> so it's going to go right away. Just That's have to dispel some of it. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you one thing. There are certain places where the enemy attacks more. There is no doubt about that. And America's changing now because our, our culture's, you know, it's being shredded. But there are places in the world where it's easier to hear God than others, where there's more warfare than others. And also, your purpose can determine your level of warfare. Um, one of the things that happens when you threaten the enemy is he attacks. And and counterattacks. Um, there are even certain places Jesus was wary of going on the earth so he wouldn't die before his time. 
But when it, when it comes to time of day, I probably had more warfare at night than during the day, but I've had all sorts of times, so it's, but that's been my thought. You know, um, it's, it's, it was inter- it's an interesting question um, in thinking about the, uh, the medical, medical field. People in, that work in hospitals actually say that people tend to die most frequently at about 3 to 4 o'clock in the morning. Is that true? Anybody here in the medical field? Okay. <laughs> and it's just, it's just one of those things that they, they tend to notice. Um, probably if I'm going to be um, awakened in the night with, with um, any kind of a warfare, it does tend to kind of happen in those wee hours for me. And I would say that probably a couple of things might um, kind of escalate times when we might be dealing with spiritual warfare. Again, like just like uh, Jim was saying, uh, it may be purpose-oriented. Maybe you're on an assignment and the enemy wants to try to intersect your path wants to try to um, uh, convolute some things. Um, I think that there are, there's definitely that. I think that you, we, I'm always very aware whenever I go into a new nation or a new territory, always having my guard up and understanding that, um, number one, God wants to speak to me more clearly, and number two, you know, the enemy, he's the devil. That's his job description, you know, to try to get in the way and try to interrupt some of those things. I would also just say that, Probably because we live where where we personally live has always had a, a very high level of occult activity um, where we live. Um, we've also sometimes noticed that it can be certain times of the year where there's a lot of occult activity around um, equinox or solstices or things like that. Um, sometimes we don't we're not as intentional about like praying into that ahead of time, but sometimes uh, we'll be like, what is going on? And somebody will go, oh, well, it's this time. And we'll be like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And so I think that that couple of things, though, just to maybe frame this in a good way, understanding that spiritual warfare is part of the journey, but we don't, none of us here live in fear about the warfare. We understand that it's real. But I also don't buy into a mentality of retaliation. Now, what do I mean by that? That if we somehow are accomplishing great things for the kingdom of God, that the enemy then has a right to come and retaliate. Will he try? He does try, but we, he does not have a right. The scripture tells us this, that, uh, that we've been given power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. I understand that we have to deal with spiritual forces. I understand we deal with spiritual attacks and spiritual warfare. But my frame of mind is I've been given power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm me. That's where I base out of. Spiritual warfare is the necessary part to walk that out. But that's I don't live looking for the next spiritual attack. Okay, I live out of believing God's word that says nothing shall by any means harm me. Because if the enemy really could come back and attack us based on advancements we'd made for the kingdom, every person on this stage right now would be dead like 20 years ago. So I believe that we have to know how to fight, we have to know how to war, but we do it from a position of victory. Great. Last question. What can we do practically to ensure that a prophetic word is fulfilled in our lives? Hebrews 4.2 says that um, we have to mix it with faith. The word not being mixed with, with, with faith did not profit them. So um, what my father-in-law did, a great teaching. He has a book called, for those of you that don't know my father-in-law, uh, Dr. Bill Hammond, he wrote a book um, called uh, Prophets and Personal Prophecy, one of the first books that was really out there on the prophetic in the 80s. And, um, and he gave three, he's, he basically said, as you're, as you're moving and working with a prophetic word, there are three lights that need to turn green to see the, the word of God fulfilled, okay? And we call this the word, the will, and the way, okay? Number one, does that word agree with the word of God, okay? If you're going to pray that a prophecy or a prophetic word or something that you feel like is from God is going to come to pass, you need to, number one, make sure that it is 100% consistent with the written word of God. 
And when I mean the written word of God, I mean Genesis to Revelation. Because how many know you can pretty much justify anything by taking a phrase out of Scripture? Okay? All right. So, is it, does it agree with the word? Number two, is it God's will for your life? Okay? Is it God's will for your life? Now, how do you determine if it's God's will? Is it consistent with everything else that God has spoken to you? Okay, so this one time we prophesied to this man, and um, as we prophesied to him, the Lord said, I'm doing a new thing in your marriage. Well, you know what he did? He went and divorced his wife and married the woman that he was having an affair with, believing that God had given him confirmation through that prophecy. That is not what God said, right? If he would have taken it to the word and asked if it was actually God's will, then, then he would have known that he was not on the right track, okay? Number three is the way. And that is what God, where God works out people. He works out timing. He works out money. He works out all the details. So as we're measuring it against the word of God, believing that it's God's will for our life, and then being patient in the process until God brings it to pass, because otherwise you're going to end up with an Ishmael. How many know Abraham had a, a true word from God that was God's will, but then he decided he was going to get in there and make it happen. You produce Ishmaels like that. So being patient in the pro- process. And Hebrews 10 says, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward for you have need of patience in that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Okay, so stay in the will of God, stay in faith, and you'll receive the promise. I think that's, those are critical, critical principles. You can prepare yourself for your prosperity. Also, remember, the Bible says, I'm watching to fulfill my word. That's right. And quite honestly, I've had some prophecies that are impossible for me to fulfill. Now, I want to believe, I want to be patient. And God, God, when I think of some of the major life words I've had, some which span 25 years of my life, um, things given, especially in some of my earlier days of ministry. Long you walk this, you know, but I mean massive words that I was 22 years old. But so every day, just moving in faith and being patient and setting your eyes on Jesus, he watches to fulfill his word. He watches. His word never returns to him void. And so on the human side, we prepare like Jane says, but on the God side, we remember that Paul says, I'm confident of one thing that he who begun is going to finish it in you. And so I realize a true, powerful word from God, he's watching to fulfill it in me. That's right. Let me just say this, too, is that, you know, I have the benefit of being um, in our family, second generation in the prophetic. And um, my father-in-law has really gone before us in the prophetic and has 60-plus years of actually walking in the prophetic. And do you know he actually had things prophesied over him at his ordination that were not fulfilled until his 50th year of ministry. Okay? And how did he end up seeing that word fulfilled is doing exactly what Jim said, obeying God every day, doing what's in front of us, just keep going. Now he's prophesying to kings. He prophesies to presidents. He gives prophetic words for nations. That's not where he started. But little by little, line upon line, God will watch over his word to perform it, but we've got to keep ourselves in a place of doing what's right in front of us every single day. Samuel basically anointed David as king, and it was impossible. Oh, no way. And there are certain words, people say, how do you know a word's from God? It'll take God. They're just words. They're really, God's going to take God (laughs) to do that for you. So you just walk every day living your life and loving him and moving in faith. And to Jane's point, I think one of the, one, probably the primary place where we get messed up is simply one of timing. Because we live in a microwave culture, if we get a word in this conference and it's not fulfilled by Monday afternoon, then we're ready to go stone some prophets. And if you look at so much of what was inscripturated, it was generations, hundreds of years coming. And so I think for many of us, we need to understand that not only are God's ways not our ways, God's timing is not our timing. And so this is, this is probably the primary place where our, I think our faith gets shipwrecked. Is, and whether it's the promise of the word, whether it's a word that comes to us revelationally, is that we have to not only trust that God is the author of the word, he's also the author of the timing of that word as well. So Amen? So true. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thus endeth another prophetic gathering.
Let me, let me say for me, and I know I can say this for Pastor Jim and uh, Pastor Jane and Pastor Reggie and Pastor Brett, all of us who participated. You know, there are some things that we do that are just work. And there are other things that we do that are just fun. And I can really say this for all of us. This is fun for us. Yes. This is not labor at all. This is, this, is, this, is, this is as life-giving for us as hopefully it was for you. And so thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. thank you for coming, making the sacrifice to travel, to spend resources to come. And our prayer for you is that God is going to richly add something back that you don't even know what he's adding at this particular moment. Amen. Jim, any th- last thoughts? No, it's always, I love coming here and ministering and talking um, about these things. And thank you for coming. I think it's our largest registration this year ever yes. by many. And it's just a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Um, I will, I'll close with this. You know, my primary motivation to hear God was never to be a prophet. I never knew I was one until someone finally told me. Um, my primary motivation to hear God is I figured he promised he could be my friend, but how could we ever be friends if I couldn't hear him? That was my motivation. Good. For, for it, 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 that's the, that is part of the elixir of life right there. To know him, to hear him, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. Jane, would you pray for us as we go? Let's just lift up our hands. Father, we thank you. Lord, that as we are closing out this time of being in your presence, being with other people, hearing your prophetic word that has come, Lord, so richly from times of worship to times of teaching to personal ministry to times of activation. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you have deposited your word in us, Lord, like a seed. And I thank you, Father God, that that seed is going to take root and it's going to produce all in us, Father, that you have uh, purposed for it to produce. And I thank you, Father, that as the people go out from here, Lord, that they're going to find a place of being planted, Lord. Lord, planted in a local church because, Lord, a seed is just a seed until it gets planted. And, Lord, let them plant their seeds of prophetic destiny so that they can bear good fruit for your kingdom. And I just decree that over each and every life, Father God, that you're going to pour out your spirit. And, Lord, release to us, Father, your voice in dreams and visions in prophecy, Father, so that we can know you more and represent you more effectively as we travel this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.